Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. All right, this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast uh, coming at you for one last time before uh, we head into our first hunt of the year. This is going to be at least episode 45 and possibly 46 uh, if this goes long. I've got uh, the ever-famous Corey Beckendorf back in the line. Hey, dude, buddy. Good. How are you doing, man? <laughs> Good. Um, you're basically becoming a co-host. So co-host Corey Beckendorf. <laughs> Just kidding. But this is, uh, man, what an awesome time of year. So, um, first hunt of the year coming up for us, uh, Nevada opens August 10th. And by the time that this comes out, we'll have been, uh, in the backcountry for three or four days at this point, whatever that is. And hopefully so we got a deer on the ground. Yeah. Hopefully we've got a couple deer on the ground or at least, you know, found some good ones to chase. So it's just an exciting time of year uh, you know, getting your gear dialed and, um, changing things and, um, getting excited and wondering what's in there and wondering what's not in there and, you know, getting all your stuff in order, you know, at home. Um, I don't know what, what are some of the things that go through your mind as you're kind of getting ready for a, a hunt this time of year? Uh, it's just, it's just that nervousness. Like you don't want to forget anything. It's like before a football game starts or whatever, like you're just, just waiting for that whistle to blow. And like that, in like, as the days get closer, they feel like they take longer and longer because you're just, just ready to go play. I'm See, make- for me, it's like, it's a little bit different. Like all the, the other 11, 10 months leading up to it is what goes slow for me. And then every year, inevitably, once it hits like that 30 days or less before your first hunt, it like, I feel like you just step on the, the moving treadmill at the gym and you're just like, all of a sudden it just speeds up. And before you know it, like you had all these things that you've been thinking about all year and you've got to get this done and this done and this done and you wanted to get this done. And then all of a sudden it's like what we're leaving in three days, right? Yeah, I don't know that. That's how it happens for me, I guess. But I wish it was that easy. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I'm definitely the opposite. The that last week's just brutal because I I got everything else in life going on and I I just don't have the anticipation like two months before. You know, yeah. I used to maybe a little more than I did, but you know, you got your hunt apps and you got scouting season. You have all that, and I uh, I just that last week, man. I'm I could. I'd drive to the trailhead right now if you told me we could go pack in. I'm just ready to go play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a good year. Um, we've got these Nevada uh, Nevada archery tags. 
Uh, following that right up, I've got a Nevada rifle antelope tag. Um, and that those are just fun hunts. Not necessarily a backcountry hunt, that's for sure. Um, but just fun hunts. And then I guess we'll be... Well, we've got a dedicated hunter in Utah, so that kind of overlaps because we can hunt um, four seasons now. The archery is kind of mid-August or so, and then the muzzleloader for that deer tag would be the end of September, and now they've got the early rifle, which would be kind of the early October, and then they've got the later rifle, which you know is the 20-something of October usually. Um, so we kind of, those tags are nice. We've talked about this before because we can be flexible with those and kind of interject them as needed. So um, where I've got my Nevada uh, tag and you've got Nevada tag and then I've got that antelope tag that opens on the 22nd, I probably. We're going to be tight turnaround. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Well, and so that, and that's the point is like, I may not, you know, if things are starting to get hectic in life, it's nice to just say, Hey, like I've got to get some stuff done at home. I've been gone for a month. Like I got to get some work done or whatever and not go on that, you know, at least not opening weekend of that archery hunt and just say, Hey, I'm going to either catch up on the, you know, the second or third weekend for a day or two, or, you know, it's, it's takes a little bit of confidence, but just saying, Hey, I'm not even going to make it on the archery hunt and I'm just going to hit that muzzle loader really hard or something like that, you know? Um, we've done that before where we just, will skip a whole hunt with that dedicated hunter tag and pick it up where it fits best. So, yeah, and but that, that too, I mean, I'm on year two of the dedicated, so, yeah, you know, and I know you, you played that game last year where you had enough tags where it's like, well, not that you didn't hunt it at all, but it, you know, you, you just kind of, you backed way off of it and spent your time elsewhere. So, yeah. No, I, in fact, I didn't, I didn't hunt it at all last year. Um, at least not, not for myself. So yeah. yeah, Um, mixed in there somewhere, um, in earlier September, September, um, we'll have a, uh, an Idaho elk tag, uh, that we just do over the counter because one, we didn't draw any, uh, major, you know, limited entry elk tags and two we have to hunt elk in september every year i say that and i don't think we didn't last year but um we're we going into colorado together oh that's right man that sucks yeah. you know why i couldn't remember that because we didn't it was it was tough hunting <laughs> we didn't hear a lot of elk bugling activity so um and then like i said the two rifle tags in october um for utah and what else? Uh, my wife drew, your wife drew a, um, the Utah, a Utah deer tag. Is that the late season? Your wife or mine? Sorry. I, oh, my you, Bluetooth was screwing up there. Okay. I think I got my back on with you. Yeah. I just got to adjust your volume there. <laughs> so you blew okay. everyone's eardrums. <laughs> I apologize. Um, yeah, my uh, Bluetooth headphones. I forgot to charge them after the gym, and they, uh, yeah, they just died on me. So gotcha. I was just saying, yeah. which, which hunt is your wife's uh, rifle hunt in Utah? Is it the late? She's got the early. Early, which we okay. are. I'm, I'm very excited about. That's her first deer tag. And yeah, 
we'll uh we're gonna we're gonna have a good hunt we just got our rifle all set up we're uh we're gonna go have some fun go see if we can't put one on the ground for her. and then my wife's got the a nevada rifle tag in a new area um, that i've never even stepped foot in um, and and that'll be we don't have super high expectations just because she's a teacher and they don't, they get the whole summer off, but they don't get a lot of extra free days uh, after school starts, you know? Um, and I don't think that that one's, it, it, I don't think it lines up with their uh, Nevada day holiday, but I'll have to look anyway. So, and then, uh, yeah, so it's, it'll just be from here in about three days until, basically the end of October, um, <laughs> this is it, you know, this is the, this is the grind. So, um, man, you just hope that you're ready and you got all your gear ready and, um, you get all your stuff in line with, you know, your, your family and your, uh, whatever work you're doing, um, <laughs> or not doing or not doing. And, uh, yeah. And then just, and then just try to enjoy it. You know, it's, uh, man, it's easy when you get this many tags and hunts and you're going this many different directions and this many different States. It's, it's easy. I think to just kind of forget that, man, the whole reason you're doing this in the first place is that it's fun. And so if it ever doesn't, if it ever stops being fun, I would, uh, you know, I would not hesitate to, uh, just take a break, you know, just stop. If you're, if you're like us where you just get all these hunts and, and it usually works out just fine, but sometimes, you know, you don't know how a hunt's going to go and you get, you know, nine days in the back country and then you turn around and you're hiking back in and you kill something. And it's just like, man, I just need a weekend off. Like, uh, just, you know, always keep it fun, man. So, um, a little bit about this Nevada hunt coming up. We're kind of excited, uh, this is actually the second year, um, that we're going to have a, a videographer, uh, following us around and just kind of documenting, uh, what we're doing in there. And, and, uh, so that we can hopefully put out a, you know, again, just a documented, uh, short film or whatever you want to call it. I, I, I don't, it's not a film because, you know, again, there's a big difference between documenting and creating and, uh, you know, we're just not we're just not the guys that are going to create some, uh, magical storyline and like have this, these, you know, sweet editing that's, you know, you, you kind of get the feel from some of these films that I've watched that, um, you know, they, they just get so good at the editing nowadays that they can, they can just make things seem however they want. You know, they can make a hunt seem however they want. And, um, that it, it's, it's neither right nor wrong. I don't, I don't think it's that it's just kind of who we are that, um, hey, this guy's going to follow us around. Uh, we're going to tell it how it is. And then we're going to put it out there um, and just let people watch it. And, and hopefully uh, just the fact of kind of what we do and where we do it and how we do it. And um, hopefully we're successful. But I don't know. What, what's kind of your thoughts as we have this, uh, our videographer coming in with us this year? Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's always been something we've, I mean, we, we like the idea of getting it on video if, for nothing else, the, the selfish reasons of, you know, I love it when Jason gets a great picture back there and it just brings me right back. And I want to, I, I like to have those videos so that I can remember them 10 and 20 and 30 years from now. So, yeah. you know, it's definitely, you know, selfish and we, we've wanted to do it, but when 
the three of us go back there and we all three have tags and, you know, or, you know, it is tough because we, you know, as much as we want to, you know, document it and stuff, it's like, we, we trying to hunt too. So it, uh, you know, that, that's always been a hard balance for us. So it's, it's cool to have the opportunity. Um, what's, I can't, I can never remember his name. I'm so terrible. Uh, Nick, Nick. Yeah. I'm psyched, psyched to have Nick back there and seen some of his stuff and definitely, you know, got some good recommendations for some pe- from some people. So excited to have him back there doing that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So I want to jump um, to kind of just one last little point here. Um, and then we're going to get into this kind of the bulk of this podcast, which um, is the first of its kind. This is a, a Q&A or a question and answer that I put out on social media on a couple of our pages and just kind of basically just wrote down um, or collected every um, every question that came up and didn't really filter or organize them in any way. But uh, real quick, Corey, just as we're getting our gear kind of dialed for this upcoming hunt, I'm just I'm just curious uh, what's what's something in your gear, your kind of your backcountry gear that um, you're excited about that you've maybe changed or something new, and then and then what's something that you know is on the flip side is maybe not coming with you or you took out of your pack this year. So I just spent the day with my wife, um, packing my meals. So that's kind of on my mind and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely switching. You'll see once we get in there, I'm, I'm switching the type of meal, um, or I guess daily menu you'd say that I'm going to have back there. And I'm interested to see, I've been doing it in normal life, but I'm running, you know, definitely more on fats and oils and stuff. And I'm, I'm going to try to back off some of the simple sugars that we've always pumped through. Uh, uh, I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, no, you're, you're going to have to deal with it. No but more fruit snacks. I, I actually, it's funny because we went to Costco last week and bought uh, quite a bit of stuff because I'm making like 40 meals for the year um, or for the next couple months. And so we were buying enough stuff to do all of it. I actually bought my Mott's um fruit snacks that i always buy and i i left them out of the nevada what um yeah it's crazy and i'm not i'm not going you know completely away from it the one of the things i love about having the llamas coming back with us is it's kind of given me a little bit of an opportunity to to bring some of the stuff that i'm used to and some of the stuff i know works as well as you know some of this other stuff but i got a a menu list actually last year from one of the best mule deer hunters I know who likes to lay low, you know, it's one of South's buddies. Um, and his diet and, you know, him and I align very much in what we like to eat and treat, you know, and I've been, you know, kind of running on fats and oils and different things over the last several months here. And, you know, so we'll see how it works out in the back country, but I've got, you know, bars or bottles of coconut oil coming back with me and we'll, uh, you're not, you're not going to like my meals. So, but, so that's, that's going to be a change. If it doesn't pan out in Nevada, I've got pop tarts and fruit snacks at the trailhead. So I'm sure I'll be fine though. And then, um, one thing I'm very excited about, um, as we get older in age is I'm packing a chair back with uh, having the llamas and living back there for 10 days i'm 
I'm glad to not have to sit on the ground the whole time. So just so everyone knows, I'm going to out you. You're like what? 26, 27 now, <laughs> 27. Get really, really getting up there in age, man. Really getting up there in age. You know, you know, well, I do know, but I'm, I'm at least in my thirties, you know, right. Early thirties, early thirties. Oh man, no, we got I so grab, much. I grabbed trekking poles and a Helinox chair, so I know I'm getting old. Hit yeah. 27, wearing uh, Maui gym sunglasses like my dad, bringing <laughs> chairs into the backcountry. So, is there anything? Um, you know, I know you you talked about the simple sugars, but is there any like piece of gear that you just went through and were like, uh, "This, I'm sick of carrying this. I never use it, or this is stupid." Um, you know, I haven't. Um, no not really honestly last year i went through and really really thin the herd on stuff and so this year i've definitely like added some more stuff back in but i dropped a bunch of stuff last year um that i normally have been carrying and yeah i'm still i'm gonna have my two headlamps in there and like six lighters and like nine or ten (laughs) knives and you know me but i uh no, most, most of my gear that I had last year is going to stay in the pack. Um, yeah. I, I can't think of anything that I'm really going to call from the herd. So one thing that I, just off the top of my head, that I took out that I was just like, why, like, I've looked at this for, I've probably been packing this since the beginning of my time as a backcountry hunter in my pack, and that is a roll of flagging tape, plastic flagging tape, and it's just like, <laughs> I, it finally hit me. I was going through my stuff. In fact, it was cause I was changing stuff from one pack to another. And, you know, so you kind of do an inventory of these things that just get dumped in these pockets that never leave. And I was like the last time, the only time actually that I ever remember using this flagging tape was a road hunt that we had last year in New Mexico when I was trying to mark the road and flag which direction, you know, you guys needed to come to get to camp because there's so many, you know, oil and gas roads or whatever up there or down there. And I've literally never used it on a backcountry hunt. Uh, it was something that I threw in because, you know, 25 years ago with my dad, you did use flagging tape before you had GPS to really mark a location. So you'd hit a deer or something and not be able to track it that night. And so you'd flag your way back to camp or the truck or whatever. Well, that's not, I'm not packing that extra freaking three ounces anymore. So good riddance. Well, Pulled that out. Don't worry. I'm bringing some. <laughs> I, I still think that there's a time and place for it. Good. Well, you for can. For the three ounces, I'm bringing it back. I, I just think like when you're on a spot of blood here and a spot of blood there, I think it's got its, its pros. So yeah, that's probably true. Just those really nitty gritty, uh, you know, uh, blood tracking jobs. It's, it can be uh, beneficial. You know, usually with that, my strategy is if you're just on those really uh, spread out drops of blood and you know you know how it is, you'll go, you know, 10 minutes before you find the next one. Um, usually just like an article of clothing or something that you can just stick right there on a bush or something right next to it is, is what I use. And then, you know, if you're leaving for the night, just hitting it with the GPS, but I, I can yeah. see the flagging tape. So Anyway, three. I, I wrote down three things that I'm bringing in that are kind of new um, that might be relevant to people. Um, so for years, for actually for all my years here, I've only ran a zero-degree 
sleeping bag. And I've talked about this, how when you're starting out on a budget, it was the most cost efficient way to just have a, a sleeping bag that could cover all the temperature ranges because I could unzip my zero degree bag when it was hot, like in Nevada. And, and then I could bundle up when it was colder and I'd be fine. Well, I finally, um, you know, got a 25 degree bag from uh, Kafaru, their body bag. Just, it was, it was basically exactly what I was looking for, um, for just a lightweight early season, you know, 25 degrees for me is just perfect for where we go in Nevada. Um, so I'm going to be packing that this year. And then I upgraded my game bags after talking to you, Corey, um, for years, I've just used the cheesecloth, uh, bags and I, and, and honestly, it's not as much, um, that it's not as much that the bags like are cheesecloth and the flies can kind of get on them. Cause they, they can a little bit. I've just never had a problem with that, but more so it's like for the pack out, um, you know how it is when you're trying to put those type of game bags full of just boned out meat that has no rigidity to it and no bone structure. It's just like flopping everywhere on your, over the sides of your straps, especially after a few miles of pack out. And I just kind of sick of that. And so yeah. these are a lot more, you know, these are just a, um, kind of a cheapo, but it's, it's more of a, you know, a full, uh, you know, not cotton. a, yeah, cotton claw bag from, from Allen game bags, you know, and there's a hundred different ones out there. This just was, you know, honestly, it was cheap and, and it looked like, you know, you've used them for a year, a couple of years and haven't had any problems. So, you know, we had that conversation. I spent like the next hour afterwards, like reading about game bags and everything. And I, uh, I don't know. I have so many of those Allen bags and I'm probably going to keep using them until I'm out of them, but yeah, I, uh, I might switch them switch it up maybe yeah. there's some premium bags out there i just man you can spend an arm and a leg if you start you, stacking that you really can uh some of these bags are just outrageous but um you know and it's like anything else you probably get what you pay for the whole kit comes with like four or five different bags um yep. you know i pull them out and for a deer hunt you definitely in my opinion you don't need more than two i might pack three uh, just for something to wrap around like um, a hide and a boned out uh, and a head, you know, a head and a cape. Yep. Um, but even then, like, I almost wonder if you could get a full boned out buck in one of those, one of those bags. Um, I think you could get pretty close to it. Yeah. Yeah. An elk, elk, different story. Um, you would definitely, oh man, you'd need, how many do you need for elk of those Allen game bags? At least two for all the meat and then maybe three huh yeah i mean four is nice just because if you're moving them around in packs and yeah if you're you got two guys in your pack and like you can put you know a total of four do like a yeah a front quarter and a you know we debone everything but a debone front corner and a back strap in one or in two you know and then the the rear quarters in the rear and then you have you know two loads and two people. So right. seems to work pretty well that way. Um, yep. But yeah, they, yeah. I mean, for, you know, if you're going to pack a hideout or you want one for the head or something, you need a couple more. So, right. Yeah. Uh, and then the and, last, Oh, sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. 
Uh, the last little item, the new item that I'm packing this year that I haven't packed for years is a, well, I've never packed a water filter. I've packed pumps, uh, but this is like a gravity flow type uh, filter uh, from Sawyer that just has the attachment that you can put onto their own little, um, you know, small little bags that you can squeeze filter through, or you can screw, it's the same threads as like a water bottle, like a 20 ounce water bottle. Um, that you can filter through, or you can actually run it in line with your uh, actual bladder in your pack if you just want to, you know, have it on the go. And so, um, you know, I'm not too worried in Nevada because I know it, and I know there's going to be running water, and I know where it's at. But, you know, we got in a situation this summer on just a little uh, overnight llama pack trip where there wasn't any running water and we thought we were going to get to a spot that had some and we didn't and there wasn't any and the only thing we had was a puddle and luckily you know because all i had was my iodine tablets and the problem with iodine tablets you know and, and everyone kind of understands this but um you know it's, it's really good if there's a consistent running stream of water but it uh you know it's not going to kill those larger uh whatever their microorganisms or not microorganisms but um, the opposite of that. The opposite of that. Yeah, the macroorganisms. Yeah. <laughs> it's me making up terms, but um, in that stagnant water, so packing that in this year. And that's it, man. So got our gear got, dialed. What's that? Go. I got I got one more item I'm, like, super stoked on. I almost forgot about. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Picked up some of those stockasins from Tanner. <laughs> and I, last, last time we had this tag, I uh, don't know if you remember, but as soon as – I arrowed a buck in there. It was like, it went from like 85 degrees and like bright and sunny. And my pack was 250 yards, like straight up the hill. And it like turned onto a rainstorm. And I had to decide between going down to that buck that we didn't, I knew where he was buried in. I didn't want to lose sight of him. And it, it I'm so stoked to not be stocking in cotton or merino socks anymore it's not even funny in I, that country i probably should have picked up a pair of those too but yeah you probably should have oh, i'm well. pretty stoked on them i'm stuck in my cheap uh wool sock ways so anyway sorry tanner i should have picked some up but okay well that's uh that's the opening intro here um like i said we still uh you know with the remaining time that we have i'm gonna try to keep this uh, like I said, this may spill into two part one and part two, um, on this, but we've got some Q and a things here. And so, you know, if it runs on for the next, over the next maybe 30 minutes and pushes over an hour, then we'll, we'll split it. Um, but we're just going to jump into some of these questions and answer them to the best of our, oh, that's funny. I just pulled up Instagram to find these questions. And the first uh, post was from Lone Peak Leather of the stock. <laughs> Dude, I'm it's so a sign. It's a sign. And I still have cactus thorns from my Utah hunt last yeah. year. My feet, so, how soon I wonder could he get me some of those? I'll bet he'd get me some. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I'm actually picking mine up tomorrow. Aren't they like a call. custom fit though? Like a you. You just gotta tell them your size. Like you, there's like two measurements. Yeah. And you just gotta tell them your size, length, and like, width. You like step on a piece of paper. It's it's yeah. pretty easy. You can. Mm. I don't know how quick he could make you some. But it's, that's he, all right. 
Okay, here we go. I'm just gonna roll through these. Uh, and like I said, we'll get as far as we get. A couple of these are a little bit redundant, um, but that's okay, because they're slightly different. So, and some of them are, you know, short and sweet to the point, so they won't take long, but. Um, and these are all Instagram handles. So, at Ty Merch asks, so he starts out, I'm hunting some insane rough country in Idaho this year. My only other backcountry hunt was in the mountains in Nevada. Y'all know what that's like. And this Idaho country it has it licked, meaning it uh, seems like it's a lot more rugged. Uh, we'll be solo hunting with no pack animals, and I have five days to hunt. What's the strategy to move fast efficiently? So moving fast efficiently backpacking like that um for me kind of the 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 first obvious thing is you got to move with camp on your back every day if if you're not if you don't feel like you woke up or the night before you didn't glass bucks or you're not in an area with bucks and especially the next morning um you know you wake up and there's nothing to stock and you're going to move country camp's got to be on your back i mean that's it's not it's not really an efficient way necessarily, but it's, it's the, it's the way is you've got to have camp on your back that way when you get somewhere and you, you know, maybe do find a buck, you don't have to, you know, make the two mile hike back to camp or whatever. Um, if, if you're talking moving again, he's kind of referencing, uh, the, the strategy to move fast efficiently. Another thing that comes to mind, just kind of while you're thinking of an answer, Corey is knowing the country and so when I think of moving fast, efficiently through country, um, I think of areas that I hunt where I know the ridge lines and I know kind of where the designated trails are, or I know that this ridge line will connect into that one and I don't have to lose a bunch of elevation. Also knowing the water and knowing that, hey, if I drop through this canyon, I'm going to cross water so I don't have to go look for it elsewhere or... Um, you know, just the efficiency of being able to know the country and know the terrain and the topography and everything of the country that you're hunting really, uh, I think separates the guys who move through country efficiently because there's no, there's, everything's calculated, right? When we drop into certain basins in Nevada, we know ahead of time if there's water in there or not. And so we're taking whether we're going there for water or not, it's probably not. We're probably going to stock a deer, but we're throwing in all of our empty bladders and saying, hey, if we come back tonight and we haven't killed a buck and packing meat, guess what? We're filling up our bladders at the bottom because we know there's water. So anyway, just a couple real general things of how to move through country efficiently. What do you think, Corey? Um, I mean, I think step one is you're just going to have to take anything you consider a luxury item out of your pack. So, you know, I wouldn't be packing a, a Helinox chair, probably be stocking in Moreno wool. I like the, I mean, like you said, I would, I'd be planned out on ridge lines. I'd be, I'd be trying to hug a ridge line, hunt, hunt during your peak times. Um, you know, wake up in the morning, hunt till 10, 11 AM, whenever the bucks really shut down in bed use your glass yeah you know that's that's a big one that i was just thinking yeah. too is like man you talk about getting up on those high points and you know really moving efficiently nowadays can mean covering you know four square miles in every direction or two 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 square miles at least 
with your optics so that you don't necessarily have to move physically, you know. That's that's the beauty of that rugged stuff. Sometimes we almost have to move more on like flatter terrain because you can't see more than 400 yards. Right. And, you know, you get it, the more rugged the country, the further you can typically see. So using your glass efficiently, dropping any luxury items out. Um, I would also, um, I would also recommend, you know, if you only have, that's the thing, five days that he says he's got to hunt. If I only have five days and I'm trying to move through country fast and efficiently, you cannot be going into there, into there with a guess of not knowing where you're going to, where your, where your, uh, route is. So I would have as many um, high points as I could find in the country, assuming that it's kind of a high country, and I would have designated um, glassing points, my top, you know, ten glassing points, and I would have a plan to that this one connects to this one, and so this is my next move, and this is my next move, and this is my next move, kind of having plan B and C and D and E and so on, um, where I can just hit um, one after the other and not have to get into the country and then kind of guess like, Oh, I'm not sure, you know, where I need to go from here or how to get there. Um, kind of have a designated route, uh, that you want to hit until you find what you're after. And then, you know, you might spend the rest of the four days there if you find the buck on day one or whatever. But I think one, one thing that can help too, and I don't know what the situation's like, but if you can find a way to shuttle stuff, as well you can cover twice as much country meaning you know you park at a trailhead and you have five days to hunt Um, and sometimes the logistics can be tough especially if you don't have cell service or a sat phone or something but if you can have a plan to do a ridge line and go up over a ridge where let's say in theory over five days you could hunt you know in a straight line 25 miles um, you know, have it planned out like you're saying, but have somebody picking you up on the other side or, you know, have a plan or an outlet where, you know, because otherwise you're out and back where that, that way, you, you know, du- if you doubling can. back on country that you've already seen sometimes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Another thing that came to mind just I mean, just, this is super general cause we don't know the exact situation, but, um, do you have a chance to make a, a pre, uh, pre hunt scouting trip? And if you do, you know, I just watched a, uh, I think it was just an Instagram story or a whatever from Aaron Snyder where he's packing into his hunting spot in the high country, Colorado, uh, for just a, uh, looked like just a weekend scouting trip, but he's packing five or six, seven bladders of water up to Damn. where, up to where he's going to go already and stashing all this water so that because a, he knows that it's not you know, readily available and B, he doesn't have to worry about it during the hunt, you know? And so, you know, if you're already making a scouting trip and you're going to be in there, um, you know, people, I think too many times, if they're hunting areas that don't have a lot of resources like water around, they don't use those early scouting trips to their advantage. You know, what are you doing all day in the middle of the day on a scouting trip? basically nothing like maybe maybe drop down during your scouting trip and shuttle a bunch of water up to the top of a peak where you know you're gonna at least spend one night camping or whatever so get all that work out of the way early okay uh next question at ty underscore barry underscore biggest key this is a big one biggest key to successfully finding good bucks 
Is it moving through a ton of country or being patient and waiting to see everything in one area? So first of all, I'm just going to, I'm going to stop right there and kind of give an answer on just that right there. So moving through a ton of country or being patient and waiting to see everything in one area. That all depends on what you've seen and when you've seen it. And this is, again, this is a very big loaded question, but um, key to successfully finding good bucks. If, if I don't know where a buck is yet and I've never laid eyes on him, then I think I'm more apt to move through a ton of country. Um, you know, again, I'm trying to generalize this, but um, can you run trail cameras in the area that you're in, if you're in Utah, can you throw down a salt lick? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit and, and be patient and wait to see everything for too long. Um, but that being said, I think if you get to, if you get into a spot that you want to look for deer and you know that it holds deer, um, and you're trying to find a good buck, you need to give it a solid two sessions of glassing at least least at least and that's a meaning a night session and a like a morning session and even that's pushing it um, because you know you're probably catching 80 to 90 percent of what you can see in that you know what's what's in the the uh, reach of your optics but there's that 10 to 20 percent or whatever i'm just throwing those out but um, there's that 10 to 20 percent of the animals in that country that you're not seeing and that could be the big buck um, you know, just, just depends on a lot there. Uh, what are your thoughts on those, on those two, uh, things first off? I mean, I mean, I think you nailed it on the head. I think that's really what separates, you know, you look at a guy like South or you look at a guy like Mark that, um, I mean, that's what separates that. It, that's that experience shining through where they know the situation They're They're weighing out all the variables where, you know, South is probably going to stay in basins that you and I are bailing out of and South is going to, or Mark is going to bail out of a basin two days before we do. And that's, that's just knowing, knowing the type of habitat you're in, knowing the time of year, knowing animal behavior, um, you know, and they, I, I think that, you know, we're, that's a moving target that we're all trying to find. And Well, and you know, in this, I, I should clarify because, the way that I'm answering this is, um, you know, I, I assume he's asking during a hunt, you know, you get into yeah. an area like the guy before, you know, the question before you have five days to hunt, you know, what's the key to successfully finding a good buck. There's a whole bunch of stuff before that, that takes place almost, uh, subconsciously, it seems like that isn't talked about a ton. Um, and, w- and we're going to talk about that, um, on another question. Um, you know, but things like, um, are you even hunting in areas that hold big bucks? You know, do they, does it hold big bucks compared to what your standard of a big buck is? Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things, but as far as like, just, all right, you've, you've already, you're in the unit and you're just trying to locate a big buck. Um, man, give it a, at least one night and one morning of real good, hard glassing, assuming that, assuming that you're in country that you can cover, you know, most of the, of the terrain, uh, with optics, um, or at least, you know, the, you know, that the feeding areas are out in the, in the open where you can really get an idea of that, you know, solid 80% of the, of the bucks that are kind of within the reach of your optics. So, um, he goes on to say, or, 
um, is it historically or um, should I be looking for historically good areas? Um, yeah, I mean, again, I, it's hard to tell if he's asking for, you know, generally how do you pick a unit or if you've already picked a unit and you're trying to find a big buck. But, you know, again, it's it, it almost goes without saying you've got to be, you know, these guys that kill these big deer consistently or find big deer, um, they're not just putting in for areas on a whim. You know, they, they know that those units have good genetics or they have good feed or they have the right um, amount of backcountry or um, they've pulled, you know, they've seen other bucks pulled out of that area or whatever the case is. So um, I think that you need to be in historically good areas. That being said, um, you know, guys that do real well are good at uh, finding those new areas, I think. Uh, that maybe aren't uh, historically known for finding, you know, pushing out big bucks and they kind of beat the masses there. And then they, you know, they're almost the guys that make a unit popular because they start pulling big bucks out of an area. But and then when it's popular, they're on to the next one. And then they're already moved on. But, um, yeah. or he asks, or should he be chasing down a rumor deer, quote unquote rumor deer? Um, I, I know what he's talking about, a rumor deer, because you hear about him. Um, you know, your buddy's friend that's a second cousin found, you know, this 220 with the double drop tie and he's in, you know, this general area or whatever. And those things fly through the rumor mill in this type of, you know, the hunting community or whatever you want to call it. Just the, my short answer, I would never spend time, um, man, unless it was like my bestest, best hunting friends you know, if you or Jason came to me and said, Hey man, like I was just in this country and I found this buck and like, you know, that to me is as far as I go with a rumor buck that I'm going to spend time worrying that's, about. That's not a rumor buck. That's it's not coming. a rumor buck. It's yeah. coming. Yeah. So no, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't worry about chasing down rumor deer. I would just do my thing. And, uh, you know, because here's the deal with that. If it is a rumor deer, guess what? Everyone else knows about it too, you know? And so even if it does exist and even if it is in the place that they say it exists, which is probably a lie anyway, um, you're going to get in there and you're going to be fighting an army off, uh, to even have a chance at it. And especially if you weren't the guy that found it in the first place and just, that's just the opposite of what I'm looking for. Um, but just not the experience I want yeah. either. Or he says, or is it just plain old luck? And my answer to that is no, it's, it's not, it's not just plain luck. It might be plain luck once that you, you come across a big buck. Um, but the guys who are doing it consistently has nothing to do with luck. Um, it's, it's a, almost an art or a science and, uh, you know, that's why they're consistently tipping them over or finding them or whatever. So anything to add on that? I mean, is this kind of a general vague question, um, without some specifics, but Anything? Okay. Uh, this one will be short and sweet because this is uh, so. This is uh, at Big Chief Whackabuck. What's up, Henry? And he asks a very serious question about selfies. What is the key to a good selfie? Is this selfie stick considered required equipment? Please keep in mind, I have a 29 inch draw length, so proper extension is sometimes a challenge for me. 29 inch draw length is above average. Um, do you look directly in the, into the camera or stare off the distance trying to appear aloof? Um, man, so many things to talk about here. The key to a good selfie. The key to a good selfie is, um, the, the fact that 
<laughs> I don't even know how to answer this. I can't. It really goes to the filter, right? Is yeah, that, it's really what, like what filter are you going to put like through it? dog nose on it? Or? Yeah, you know, that's the best answer, yeah. Um, filter game strong, you know, that's that's the key to a good selfie. We've never used... 29-inch draw length, though, is perfectly adequate for a selfie. Yeah. I mean, that's you're you're above if average. Cam does it. Cam, he he can't have more than like probably twenty seven inch draw. He yeah. does it. Man, the content of a selfie too. Like, I mean, if it's just like a selfie, like I'm taking a selfie video. Like, hey guys, you know, man, I just you know I just missed this buck, and um, you know, and you don't show any proof of it. Um, or if you're the guy that's like taking a selfie with the dead buck behind you in the background, you know, that whole type of selfie. Um, that will really increase the amount of likes that you get. So um, I, I prefer to stare directly into the camera. Um, don't don't be shy. You know, don't be shy. You don't. Everyone knows you're taking a selfie, so just own up to it. You know, you don't want to be the guy that's like half your arms in the selfie anyway, and you're like looking off. Um, you know, like like you don't know that you're taking your own selfie. So just keep it real, man. Like keep it real. So. All right, moving on from that. Thanks, Henry. Uh, Robbie Denning, the Robbie Denning. Robbie Denning uh, asking, do you dial a single pin or straight fixed pins or hybrid for stocking mule deer? You know what, Robbie? We, all three of us, have been uh, single pin sliders for quite a few years now. And I can't think of a time, especially on stock and mule deer, where it's hurt me. In fact, stock and mule deer, in my opinion, is the bread and butter for a slider because um, 95% of the time I'm stocking them in their bed. And so it's a fixed, you know, it's it's usually happening um, when they stand up or something. But I, I have time to, you know, like, it's not like a bull elk coming in, um you know, on a call and I don't know exactly what distance he's going to be at when I shoot. I generally know. Um, and, and the other thing too, is nowadays with, uh, sliders, even if it's a single pin, kind of like we have, it's actually a dual pin. Uh, cause we, we get the double pin from uh, spot hog. And so, you know, generally you're going to have your 30 pin and then you're going to know that, Hey, that second pin down on the tower is, uh, is 45 when my, when, when I'm locked at 30. And so you kind of get that, that set default distance, I'll call it that you put your slider at, and then you have kind of a, a window there of, Hey, I, I can cover anything with, you know, if I've got a, a my, my top pin locked at 30 and then I've got that kind of, um, secondary pin below it at 45, you know, I can basically cover anything from inside a 20 all the way out to like, you know, a 45 yard pin, you know, I could put that high on his back at, you know, probably 55 or 60, even uh, with the, how fast he's bow shooting nowadays and, uh, and not feel bad about, you know, taking that in a pinch, in a pinch. Um, typically though, the way I've seen it, you almost always have time to dial that slider. It just, you, you shoot it for a couple of years. And especially if you shoot your equipment a bunch, um, man, it just becomes second nature range drop your range finder and dial that pin literally takes a whole you know one or two seconds to dial that slider and and let it rip but what do you what are your thoughts on that on the sliders uh i i think the advantage of like cleaning up that site picture 
um, just outweighs it from having multiple pins in there. And I, for me, I'm always going to range an animal or have somebody behind me ranging an animal. And it, of the time it takes to range and change my pin, it's maybe like five or 10% of that time. So if it takes me a total of like eight seconds to do that whole process, seven of them I'm spending ranging the animal and the other one I'm actually sliding that. And I, yeah. I think all three of us, do we all shoot hog fathers? You two? Yeah, have we, both do. Have hog fathers? we do. Yeah. And, and I, well, and, and, and so I should say we're technically probably shooting a hybrid. Um, I I'm get, not, I, I'm single pin. You're just single all the way. Yeah. yeah. I've got the, I've got the dual. So. I, I, I tighten mine up at the beginning of the season. You can change the adjustment of that wheel, like how tight it is. And so I don't even have to lock it. If I, I leave it locked at 40 all the time, like Dustin's saying, and I'll shoot 3d courses, you know, anything inside 50, I'll leave locked at 40 and, you know, you can get pretty confident doing that, but I'll leave it. So that wheel will, you know, I could unlock it change it to 60 and not have to lock that thing back in. And you just touched on something super important that again, you know, everything has its, its pluses and minuses. And, you know, one of the pluses with a fixed pin is we can dial it to any range if we have the time. But, um, you just touched on the fact that, you know, you'll go to an archery shoot and just lock it at 40 and you, I'm guessing that you shoot the whole course with it locked at 40, right? Any, anything 50 and under anything yeah. 50 and under and so what you're doing there is learning your equipment and knowing that hey in a pinch if i know i'm locked at 40 and this is a 30 you know a 28 yard shot um you know i know how low i need to hold on that target and so you know a, a single pin or a slider or even a hybrid like that it's not for everybody um especially if you're just getting into archery and you're not the guy who's going to spend a ton of time with your equipment um, you know, I, I, I won't say that if you're new to archery, you shouldn't get a slider because I don't believe that if you, I don't care if this is your first year, if you spend the time and really learn your equipment, throw a slider on. Um, but if you're the guy that you just know, you can take an honest look and say, Hey, I'm just a weekend warrior. I'm going to pick my bow up in July, which is unfortunate for, you know, that some guys do that, I guess. But, um, you know, just, just taking a self being self-aware. Knowing that, hey, you know what? This is just kind of a side hobby or whatever. I'm not as crazy as you guys are. Um, you need to be shooting a fixed pin sight. You know, you can get seven pins or eight pins or whatever nowadays, and you can cover all the way out to 80 yards or whatever. Frankly, that guy shouldn't be shooting out to 80 yards at all, but maybe you want to practice that far uh, when you do pick your bow up. So anyway, that's that's our answer. We're a hybrid slash single pin, uh, single pin guys, especially for stock and mule deer. Baja at Baja Matt, what do you guys do when you have have to cross a stream? Uh, maybe more like a river is what he means. Something mid calf to knee deep. Do you pull your boots off and go barefoot? Leave your boots on and have wet boots for the rest of the pack in, pack out, or bring a different pair of shoes to wear? Or, or do you ride the llamas across? He asks. Um. First of all, common misconception, you cannot ride llamas. <laughs> <laughs> At least we can't. We're too big. But yeah. um, So, frankly, right up front, we don't hunt in a lot of country that has rivers or streams this big. 
Um, I have hunted a few, mostly like up in Idaho, maybe Wyoming. Um, 100%, I'm taking my boots off. I'm not going to walk across where it's just going to dump water in my boots. Um, I'm going to take my boots off and wade through it. Uh, that's where trekking poles are nice too. If it's a real big uh, river and you know a lot of slippery rocks, uh, those trekking poles are absolute gold going through something like that. So I'll, I'll uh, tie the shoelaces together, dangle them over my pack or whatever, and then get to the other side and, you know, roll my pants down. Or maybe you even have to take your pants off to, I mean, getting my pants wet, unless it's a real late season hunt, it's not the end of the world. Um, but I'm definitely taking my boots off. And no, I'm not, uh, I've never packed in multiple, you know, shoes or whatever. I know some guys do that every once in a while if you have pack animals, but. I'm just, I'm not going to waste the weight that we have those pack animals to pack in an extra pair of shoes just so I can walk across the stream without taking my shoes off. But same, same kind of thoughts there. Yeah. If it's going to, if it's going to go over my boot, I'm taking them off. I'm also the guy that like walks through like a small stream. I love, like I've yet to have my waterproofing. I know that one Gore-Tex will go out of boots at some point. I'm sure mine will too, but mine haven't yet i'm the guy that like is jumping in puddles in those things because they're waterproof and i like to make sure they're waterproof and it's fun yeah but if it's going over the boot i'm 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 not getting my pants wet i'm gonna be down to my boxers or yep. what whatever i need to to stay dry yep um okay at blake i assume this is blake es blake with two e's s 21 blake es 21 What's your dream hunts? And this is interesting, I'm sure, because he's probably a longtime listener that's heard me ask, you know, 40-something people now, what's your dream hunt? And I've probably never asked, answered what mine is. Maybe once I have, but um, go ahead, Corey. First, what's your what's your dream hunt? Um, well, hunting elk. I, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why I moved here. No, I, uh, no, I, I sincerely mean that. Hunting elk is, it was and always has been my dream hunt. I think... Uh, you know, next on the list to check off is definitely Alaskan moose or I've always wanted caribou and or moose, um, going up to Alaska, I feel like is just kind of the next, I don't know. I, there's just, uh, there's a draw there. I've never been up to Alaska and I think, uh, caribou and moose, I th- think archery hunting moose, just the whole posturing and calling moose in. And, uh, that's, that's, that's up there. I'd, I'd love to hunt a sheep mountain goat for stuff that, you know, I could draw in the lower 48. I think mountain goat is up there, but I think, uh, moose is Alaskan moose would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's so many of those that are just, um, you know, they almost seem out of, out of reach or whatever. Um, and just, man, I could throw a dart at a dartboard with all of them on there and be completely happy and call that my dream hunt. Cause it really would be, um, you know, that, that being said, I'm like you, um, yeah, just so content chasing mule deer and elk and, you know, even mixing in a few antelope and, um, every year, you know, I'm, I'm more addicted to, uh, chasing all these things in these different units in different States and trying to chase these, um, harder to draw tags or premium units or whatever than I am, you know, worrying about like going on a, you know, a stone sheep hunt or whatever. So, um, man, for right now in life, like my dream hunt though, if I was just being realistic, like I'm getting like somewhat close to having a slight chance of drawing like a Utah mountain goat tag. And that would just be, 
just the country they live in and the the type of critters that they are and those white coats and everything that would probably be my dream hunt right now so a lot of i feel like i could stay on this continent forever and only i mean i could like if i had infinite resources i think i could stay on the lower lower 48 no not the lower 48 i could stay in north america and just hunt (laughs) hunt the stuff we were talking about but this a lot of people say sheep and I sheep's on my list. Like I, I, I would, I wouldn't turn a sheep hunt down for anything, but I feel like that rarity is such a big part. Like the, you know, that only so many people going to hunt sheep and that like, man, they don't bugle, you know, <laughs> you can't call them in. And that, I think that's why moose for me is yeah, like you get, you get that interaction with them that you don't, you're not going to get with a sheep. Yeah. Okay, uh, buddy, at uh, Nick underscore Wysocki <laughs> is asking um, kind of a weird question. He's asking, who's the little spoon in the back of the country? <laughs> and I'm going to assume, Nick, that you're talking about um, spoons that you eat your mountain house and your freeze-dried food with because, I mean, what else could you possibly mean by um, who's – you must have had a typo and meant to say who's got the little spoon in the back country. <laughs> Um, and so for years, that was me. I had this short little stupid plastic spoon, um, that you'd get for, you know, a dollar 50 or whatever at, uh, sporting goods store. And recently Corey enlightened us to these longer, uh, yeah, not recently. It's been a couple of years. years. (laughs) Well, I recently converted, uh, to these longer titanium, super lightweight titanium spoons with the extra long handle. And so now, Nick, we are all the same size spoon in the backcountry. <laughs> neither one of us is little. Neither one of us is the big spoon. We all have same size spoon in the backcountry. So I hope that answers your question. Work on your typo typing skills uh, next time. That autocorrect. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> thanks for your question. You so this would have been one of our first hunts together in utah elk my first year out here that solo hunt i forgot a spoon so i'm day like six by myself haven't had a spoon the whole time bump into you guys and told you that i didn't have a spoon and you had one of those plastic spoons broken you'd broken it and so you gave me half so i've got this like you should have like did you duct tape that to something or did you just use it oh you should have duct taped it it. yeah no we didn't it uh yeah so we're i was the very little spoon then i was, went from no spoon to super small spoon. super little yeah you were the the littlest spoon at that point the littlest spoon. Yeah. and brandon crawford was there and i was still the littlest spoon. <laughs> all right moving on <laughs> at treston treston underscore shaw what's the nastiest water you filtered and drank you know, I'll answer real quick because I haven't had a real nasty experience with filtering like a real nasty water. Um, that recent experience that I talked about on that llama uh, trip just uh, this summer was the closest thing. It was just a little stagnant uh, puddle, basically, you know, a couple feet wide and maybe four or five inches deep. And that was it was pretty gross. But, um, you know, nothing too crazy. Like you hear those stories about... Adam Greentree drinking bull piss in the middle of Australia. And uh, like, it's, I've never gotten that, that bad or whatever, but what about you? Um, I haven't had any horrific experiences. I've had some 
because I don't pack a pump where, you know, just taking stagnant water and dropping aqua tabs into them wasn't, uh, wasn't ideal, you know, drinking, looking at your Nalgene or your bladder and it's like brown and bugs in it. It's like, I guess I'm doing it. Run that through your uh, shirt or something next time before it drops into the. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose that would work, but. But no, we, we haven't. Uh, surprisingly, last year when we were in Nevada, um, we were getting some water out of a, a snowbank that was still up there. And like you would think water coming out of a snowbank would be like the most crystal clear, pure water ever. Nope. It was so nasty, man. Like nope. just so much crap in that. Uh, especially those old snowbanks late in the summer when they've just been like, you know, the bottoms have like melted up from the ground a little bit. And so it's just like got dirt and debris and just like grossness all over on it. So anyway, nothing crazy, but maybe someday we'll get to filter our own piss or something and drink it. So like the llamas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to even validate your question, Corey. No, it's an all right question. So at enjoying the pursuit, which is you, which is Corey. How do you and your brother? Yeah, well, this is what you get. How do you and your brother get along so well? (laughs) Jason and I, all I'll say, Jason and I are very similar in certain ways and we're very different in other ways. And so in some, some circumstances that's good. In other circumstances, it can just, it can explode. Um, We know each other well enough. We're getting old enough now that it, you know, we've kind of, we, uh, we don't really have any problems now, but, um, no, we're, we, we get along well. We're just brothers and, uh, anyone. I, who... love, their, I love their relationship. I love watching <laughs> it. I, yeah, I really do. It's enjoyable. For we me. know too much about each other. We know what buttons to push. We know what buttons we probably shouldn't push and we do anyway. And so it's just, it's just typical brother stuff, but, um, so yeah, we get along so well because Jason finds big bucks for me. Uh, and let's let's me hunt him. So and then I call Elkin for him. So it's a good relationship. Oh man! So we're just rolling up on an hour here. Um, I think we're gonna. This is definitely gonna be two uh, two podcasts. We'll do a part one and a part two. Still got you know seven or eight nine questions to get through here. So um, you know we're gonna wrap this one up. We uh, you know definitely. I don't think we'll be out of the backcountry by the time this one hits. So, um, you know, hopefully you guys are getting geared up for your hunts and getting excited. And this helps, uh, you know, follow, follow along, keep track of us, um, on our Instagram pages and, uh, you know, either at team backcountry or, uh, the, at the finding, uh, backcountry podcast with, uh, periods in between each word. And we'll try to update you know, we do get a tiny bit of service up there. So hopefully we'll be spitting out some, uh, you know, Instagram stories wasn't a big deal back then. I don't even know how long have Instagram stories. Anyway, wasn't really into that back then, but maybe we can load up some, uh, Instagram stories or whatever, kind of like, uh, you know, Adam Greentree style of like following along on the hunt or hushing or whoever does that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, don't be surprised if you don't see a ton from us. Cause frankly, we're just, we're, we're there to enjoy ourselves and hunt and get into the back country. And, um, and we got to hike up to the top of peak to get, yeah. Um, so it's not like we can just sit in camp usually, but you know, we do have a videographer following us, like we mentioned. And so it's going to be out on, uh, you know, either YouTube or, you know, maybe we, 
get it submitted into one of the film tours or something. So uh, it's not that we won't, uh, you know, let everyone know how it went. But anyway, man, just can't say enough. Uh, any any last words on this one, Corey? Before we uh, before we sign off. Good luck with everybody's season. Everybody, at least here in Utah, probably when this is coming out, they'll be gearing up, getting ready for the Utah opener. And we'll be hopefully rolling back. So, yep. Well, uh, good luck for everybody. Good deal. Okay, thank you, and uh, tune into the next uh, either the next week or the next episode. I'm not exactly sure when it'll drop. It's kind of tough being out in the backcountry and running a podcast. So, I'll do my best to get them done and kind of upload it ahead of time, but. Um, you know, look for uh, part two of this with the rest of these uh, Q and A uh, question and answers uh, on the next one. So, again, uh, we love you for sure, and thanks for listening along. And uh, you know, remember that uh, God God loves you too, and um, you know, be be safe out there. So, thanks. Thanks, guys. Hey, everybody! Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.